and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by sustainable luxury travel writer and the sustainability editor of Condé Nast Traveller magazine, Juliet Kinsman. Juliet has been an authority in the travel world for over two decades as a renowned hotel expert. She's the co-creator and former editor-in-chief of the boutique hotel guide Mr. and Mrs. Smith and went on to found Buteco, a platform that helps hotel lovers find the best eco-conscious design-led hotels. And now she's releasing a book, The Green Edit, Easy Tips for the Eco-Friendly Traveller, all of which couldn't feel more pressing and relevant in our current global climate crisis. I hadn't met Juliet before this chat. We were able to meet in London in person a few weeks ago. And it's fair to say I found a true kindred spirit, albeit one I've got a lot to learn from as we all rethink the ways in which we travel. I really hope you enjoy her insight into the future of travel, as well as the wonderful array of unusual destinations that she picks for her travel diaries. So from Hungary and Transylvania to Newfoundland and Norway, let's hear now from Juliet Kinsman. Well, Juliet, thank you so much. Welcome to the Travel Diaries. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for for having me and chatting. It's my pleasure. I mean, I have to say, you are one of my most requested guests. Wow, that's a great honour. Yeah. It's probably because people know that I have no filter. (laughs) 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 And I occasionally am prone to sharing an outrageous story or two. So, um, So we can't avoid talking about, you know, what's going on right now. You're a person who is traveling non-stop so how has it been for you these last few months what have been the some of the lessons that you've learned perhaps actually because as someone that does travel a lot what what has kind of risen to the top it has been an extraordinary time and you can imagine as somebody who specializes in in sustainability and talks about how to use our travels as a force for good by the end of last year what with fleek scum and uh, flight shaming, I was really, really questioning how much I should be flying. So my last mm-hmm. trip was to the Maldives uh, last December, and I had thought, I am not going to fly much next year unless I really have to for work. But anyway, that was decided for me. And I haven't flown for, you know, in 2020, which is... In inc- 2020. Yeah. So that must be a complete you know, one-off for use thus far in Yes. Life. You know, it's funny because I would have told you week after week during lockdown and during these strange times how grateful I was to be grounded, how I had felt the slowdown was really healthy and necessary um, whilst I was lamenting the loss of uh, revenue and, and industry for, for people on the ends of the supply chains all over the world who depend on long-haul travellers. Me personally, not you know, leaving the ground and being at 35,000 feet and moving to different time zones physically and mentally, I felt, I felt better for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoyed being at home with my daughter, 
thinking about travel, thinking about how we can travel less but travel better. But do you know, in the very recent weeks, I've been tuning into podcasts, actually, and uh, webinars. And when I hear someone talking from Mexico, or it was someone in the Maldives, and you hear those exotic tropical birds, something inside of me yearned to travel again. It Mm -hmm. yearned to be somewhere else, to experience different places and be reminded of why we travel. So I am missing travel. Yeah. I actually wanted to get your opinion on something. So last year, as you say, flight shaming, you know, we were all thinking about flying less, being more mindful of that. But then we've become hyper aware during lockdown that one in 10 people work in travel and tourism and the ripple effects of us not traveling so how do we reconcile that not you know trying not to fly but also then not impacting on these communities that need our tourist revenue I think the key word there is impact and if we look at sustainability in terms of it's not just environmental sustainability and how we uh, interact with the with nature it's social and economic sustainability so we talk about low impact reducing our carbon footprint that's our negative reducing our negative impact reducing the amount of plastic that we use let's look at our positive impact so in terms of travel if we can all be a bit more mindful and responsible and we can weigh up the pros and cons. So I believe I've never been one to say absolutely don't fly. I've said be judicious, uh, stop, think, discuss. That's kind of like my slogan. Um, which airline you fly with? Are they one that, you know, it's, it's more more conscious about which fuel they use and, and what their, their emissions are. And you can and, find that out just through a website like Skyscanner, right? Actually, it's interesting you mentioned Skyscanner because you're absolutely right. When you choose the route, it will have a sort of option that will show you the lower. There are their algorithms are pretty limited. I'm a bit geeky, so so you know, <laughs> there's there's much more to that. It's more mm. complex. Yeah, um, that sounds. It's probably like it's quite top top level. It is, and better to choose the one. It, I think I think this is a great topic, and it's a reminder that we really need to take responsibility to think more deeply and, and, and research things so there are some airlines that really are doing incredible things they're investing in renewable in renewables so you've got Finnair, you've got most of the scandinavian you've got uh, scandinavian airlines sas uh, klm is very good so these airlines not only do they reduce their imprint now or their footprint um, they really are thinking of ways to innovate but it's about choosing a destination which will really benefit from your from your traveler money so if you think, it's almost, I mean, it's been breaking my heart, to be honest with you, that um, all these all these places reliant on tourism just haven't had travellers. Can you imagine? Uh, so we see the images, all the monkeys coming, you know, all the monkeys returning to towns and parts of Asia because there's no tourists out in the forest feeding them. And that's kind of a sort of a reminder of how reliant they became on tourism. Was that healthy? Possibly not. Do those uh, far-flung destinations have to rethink how they make money? Actually, yes. Maybe they shouldn't be so reliant on tourism. How can we help them? Mm. Can we look at our manufacturing and our industry so that we pay people better within those sectors? Can we look at this? I mean, I always get a bit geeky. You'll have to forgive me. So I always look at the big, much, much bigger picture. Yeah. And it's so complex. Um, so I would always say, please choose a destination that will, will benefit from you leaving your money there and then you have to look at who you're traveling with and there's you know how much will stay in those local destinations you know Mm. and I think if you look at international chain hotels not all of them again 
But they're really going to be concerned with making money for the owner of that property who might not live in that country, the asset owner. Yes. Right? And they will want to be making money for the management company. I won't shame any big luxury brands, but, you know, their bank account is probably not in that Southeast Asian or South American country. It's back on a registered offshore or in America, right? Mm. So what we want to do is look at local businesses. How can I, it's the same with everything. We think about it when we buy food or fashion. How can I buy something that I'm paying the absolute fair price for? That is really helping that local far-flung community. Absolutely. And we'll come on to that in more, in more depth because this is something that you cover in your new book. But we'll come on to that in a sec. First of all, let's begin your travel diaries, Juliet, starting with chapter one, your earliest childhood travel memory. Where would that be? You know, my first travel related memory, it isn't somewhere we went to on holiday. It is somewhere we moved. Um, I think I'm, I was about, I think I was six weeks old, you know, I think I was that small from Canada. I was born in Canada and we got, we went to Algeria in North Africa. And now I don't remember anything uh, about that time because I was only there the first couple of years of my life. But what I do remember, and this is interesting, well, you know, the part of your brain that stores memory, your hippocampus, yeah? Mm -hmm. Lodged within that is your olfactory bulb that processes smell. So I don't remember anything from Algeria particularly, but I can tell you if I smell a couscous or tagine made with North African spices, it takes me back. Honestly, it, it tra- wow. isn't that incredible? Amazing. So my memory is one, it's like a, a scent memory or a taste memory. Most of our taste buds are in our nose, so they're connected, aren't they, right? So that is my, my earliest memory. And so I think that's why I have such a dear love for, for Morocco and those rich spices because of that time. And have you been back to Algeria since? You know, I've never been back to Algeria and I contemplated it a couple years ago. Instead I I became friends with a sort of Algerian group of people in London where they would I was the only non-Algerian I'd hang out with them they'd make all these it was such fun. Yeah Um, (laughs) because it's it is a bit difficult and complicated and at that point when I was deciding hoping to go there it wasn't ideal but I have spent a lot of time in Morocco and obviously last year I crowdfunded and made to make a documentary about a charity called Education for All in in Morocco in the um, Atlas Mountains, and I spent time with some families in the in Berber families right up in the villages, and that was a similar love. Honestly, people ask me what my happiest travel memories are and the richest moments, and they're not, you know, they're not these silver service affairs here, or or they're not these incredible luxurious privilege moments sitting in a little village a little hut with oh, this little girl on my lap playing with my hair and her grandmother sat opposite me we don't speak the same language at all yet we somehow communicated smiling and laughing honestly mm. and she was called oh what was her name it meant angel in Berber. i remember Aww. and honestly and it's that feeling that connection those moments it's people connecting with people that sounds so powerful and it's those powerful moments that really shape your memories of of destinations often and so you spent that time in Algeria but then you spent a lot of your childhood also in New York is that right? Yes so my father was a Canadian diplomat a career diplomat so he we moved from Algeria to New York in this is uh, in the 70s wow that was a different place to what it is now mm. um and yeah, I think that really very much informed who I am growing up. I mean, albeit on the Upper East Side, I wasn't 
wasn't in such a gritty part of town. Was being the daughter of a diplomat, did that instill in you a sense of wanderlust in, sen- in the sense that that job is innately about travel and moving from place to place? You know, I think some people, when they hear the word diplomat, will hear, you're right, they will, they'll, they'll hear international. And it was my normal to move around and the world and different cultures all mixing together was my normal and I went to the United Nations International School so my best friend oh hello Mele Mele Moala from Samoa if you're out there we haven't spoken for 40 years um but she yeah you know that international the United Uh, Nations International I didn't know that Eunice yeah it was right on the uh on the river the Hudson River yeah and wow that was that was an incredible time and 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 they would do once a year they would do the school photo of everyone would come in their national dress Mm. I guess I, d- I don't know. Mine would have been a Canadian Mountie, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, I wish I had those pictures still. <laughs> um, this is before Instagram where we did everything for photos. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible time. So my normal was speaking to people. Of, what a privilege. That is the privilege. Is, yeah. is Yeah, is seeing the world. There are 195 countries in the world. To meet people from those far-flung places is pretty incredible. Mm. And so chapter two then is the first place that you fell in love with. Where would that be? That is such a great question, isn't it? And when we talk about falling in love with, what do we, what do we mean? Is it aesthetically pleasing? Is it that it just sort of connects with us spiritually? And I would say again, that's, that's New York City. That is New York City. New York, what I learned from, from growing up in Manhattan, Manhattan, <laughs> yeah, well, how come you don't have a New York accent then? Uh, you know, actually, there's an answer to that. I moved to England just just before puberty. So if it's just before puberty, you adapt. That's what animals do. If it's just after puberty, I'd probably sit, be sitting here with a weird Canadian New York accent. New York fusion. Yeah, I adapted. So did you have one? Oh, yeah. i got to oh, find really? those recordings for you sometime. Oh, wow. You should hear me. I, my mum used to make recordings of me telling jokes for my grandparents in Buckinghamshire, which we send, but I've still got those. <laughs> They're really, really funny. So what was it that you yeah. loved about New York? So, and, and I think this, as I say, I, I absolutely think this is what informed me and who I am today. And it was a struggle in my teens in a boarding school in Somerset because I was different to other kids for this reason. When you grow up in New York, you believe in talking to each other, strangers. You sit on the subway, you talk to the person, hey, how are you? You talk to the person next to you. You're not shy to voice your thoughts. It's not disrespectful to say, I don't have that same opinion, let's exchange ideas. It's a different way of being. Yeah. And I can be very, I know I can be pretty full on for a lot of people in my thoughts. Um, you see the funny side. You you absolutely don't just celebrate you don't know any way but being individualistic I I don't mean in the selfish sense there's that definitely I mean you're not afraid to be different you are who you are you know it's we prize yeah individual individualism and dressing the way that you want to dress it's quite it's quite in contrast to British expression as well and certainly great then being eventually you know, spending my teens in the in the burbs in Buckinghamshire yeah oh my goodness I can't tell you that was I was I mean this is like a therapy session thanks I'm realizing why I was such a struggle for me <laughs> in my teens because I'd it's two extremes I mean yeah. you 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 have a big connection with New York or, yeah or America. my my dad also is a New Yorker so um the way that we would deal with confrontation would be to fully express how we feel about something uh you know articulate it shout about it and then move on from it um so I think 
that hasn't necessarily done me that many favors you know in uh, my, with my British friendship group because that's just not really how um, we, we address you. things <laughs> totally and so it can my friends can be slightly uh, in awe of how I'll suddenly be very, really powerful like I'll be dealing with a cab driver who's who's taking the mickey or something yeah or they can just be like oh goodness tone it down yeah 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 because it's it's embarrassing for for English people (laughs) I'm definitely embarrassing sometimes (laughs) for English people same 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 We, we obviously both are so do you go back there a lot to New York so um you know I've been back there a couple times a year always my oh really so that's a lot yeah, but then I have to say when a certain person, that January, when a certain person got in, uh, president, uh, that January, I flew to New York that day. I'd been on the march in London and I got there just in time. It wasn't planned, but it happened to be. Something felt a bit different. Everyone, it just felt a bit different in New York. The New York I knew and loved felt different. And I haven't been back there recently. I should be there now. I usually spend summers in the Catskills. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a country full of amazing people. Three, what is it, 350 million people? I'm a bit shocked they couldn't find some better candidates out of 350 million. Yeah. But, you know, again, that's complex. The media and all of these things, it's complex, just like sustain- sustainability. So are you a big AOC fan? I absolutely love her. I mean, what a great moment. Can you believe she's in her 20s? She's so inspiring and she makes me feel like I really need to do some more things with my life. I mean, she's just so incredible and I hope she'll be president one day (laughs) I absolutely do you know it's interesting your response is she makes me want to do more things with my life my response when I saw her was how powerful language can be when it's respectful when it's inspiring it's not negative you know she just was so she responded to such a terrible situation. Please, if you haven't seen the clip of her uh, talking in in Congress, it was in of course she's a congressman in Congress uh, about Ted Yoho, was it? Yeah, and just calling him out for calling her. I mean, seriously, whatever. Um, it's so powerful, and it it's we need to speak to each other with respect always, and think and have open conversations. Something that translates so clearly into travel as well, you know. Absolutely. How, again, it's just about connecting, isn't it? It is, you know, and I think I think it's no coincidence that during this time, obviously, uh, we've been talking about the virus, but we've been looking at society. Um, Black Lives Matter was was really really important conversation. And I think that reminds us in travel, not just to, you know, speak up about diversity and inclusivity. Of course, that's so important. But actually, Trevor Phillips is a friend of mine who I interviewed him for um, Condé Nast Traveller. And he expressed it to me so perfectly. He said, when we look at travel, let's not look at it as a way of exploring different worlds. Let's not look at those far-off destinations. You know how often they're marketed as a whole new world, it's incredible. It's not a different world. It is the same world. Mm -hmm. And those people in those places are also human beings. Mm -hmm. They're the same as us. Actually, let's not look always at our differences. Let's celebrate those and let's explore those and understand those. But let's remember that we are all... We are all the same. We are all members of the human race and we have the same desires and we have the same hopes for our family and the same needs. Yeah. Well, that leads me on very nicely, actually, to chapter three, which is the place where you learn the most about yourself. So the place where I learned the most about my, myself, as it happens, it feels like such an almighty cliche before I qualify it. Bali. 
So it sounds all eat, pray, sleep. Eat, eat, what is it? Eat, pray, eat, pray love. love. Eat, pray, pray sleep. Love. That says everything about me, doesn't it? <laughs> That's so funny. I, in that book, I have to tell you, I was like devoured the eat bit. And then I was like, anyway, I didn't love the book. Um, but the reason it happened, so three, three, just over three years ago, I moved to Bali with my daughter so she could go to the green school and learn about sustainability. What an incredible experience. So we went there. I got a villa and for whatever reason, that time away really made me think about what mattered to me. And I dealt with some things. I said, I dealt, I dealt with it. It was the 30th anniversary of my mum's death. And I remember I cried nonstop for three days, mm. probably for the first time oh, because wow. I never dealt with it at the time. So there was that. So that so was, you must a, have been very young. I was, I was almost, uh, how old was I? I was 13. Oh, what an awful Not age. ideal. No. Not ideal. And it was very sudden. Um, and so I, I sort of processed that. And I realized what I needed and wanted. And, you know, my, my husband, Kitty's dad, came to visit us. And we agreed that perhaps spiritually we didn't have that connection. It wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big change. Yeah. in my life and so it was a big learning so you say learning to, to who I was what I was about uh that was profound but it wasn't you know Bali is a spiritual place if you stay out of the all night you know the bars and the <laughs> it's everything it's the best and worst just like so many places so do you think there was something about Bali that gave you a kind of awakening in a kind of greater sense with these relationships both past and present you know definitely I feel like the sitcom of my life could be called something about Bali that's so funny (laughs) (laughs) um now I had lots of conversations as you do in Bali uh about whether it's the actual you know is it the geology of the island what is it about that place personally for me as I said to you I'm, I'm really drawn to these very green environments and landscapes and sitting there there's nothing that that pleases my soul more than watching the sort of paddy the bright kermit kermit the frog green uh paddy fields swaying and that you just feel connected to to mother nature i think and and so i i read some of the articles that you wrote about that time you didn't sugarcoat it there was both highs and lows of being there so would you recommend it first of all you know i'm always reluctant to really ever offer advice and these big life-changing things because it's so personal mm. I'm, go- I'm going to tell you first of all my daughter it was a great experience and I know that maybe not always in the moment will she recognize why it was so enriching she, it will be in the retrospect she couldn't wait to get back to London to a desk and a much more conventional traditional way of learning she loves her school she loves we love London I love knowing that when I leave the house how long it's going to take, take me to get to the next place and I won't arrive dripping with sweat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a child perhaps, perhaps that isn't so good at, at learning in the conventional way, I'm sure it's incredible. And I have so many friends who loved it and I made lifelong friends there. What does it involve just on a kind of in a nutshell? How, how is schooling different there? So that's a broad question. And let's first of all, just picture it. It's made of bamboo. It is an open air bamboo cathedral. We actually even sang. They would sing in assembly every week. Uh, Green school, the bamboo cathedral. (laughs) Sounds culty, right? And and it was amazing. And you'd have all these fun people. You'd have someone from the Beastie Boys doing a talk. Or you'd have this YouTuber from India doing a talk. Wonderful, inspiring. My friend Bandana Tavari, who uh, is a sustainable fashion expert. She's a a great person who's part of that community. Um, 
I was going through a difficult time for me. And I think I wanted, I wanted a bit more conventional structure and what I, you know, I work well and I sit at a desk in working hours on my laptop. And that's much more for free spirits, I think. Also being a single woman, you're not always welcomed into social environments in the same way. People, right, you right. know, and there's a lot of couples who've gone there on a sort of family gap year situation. Yes. And, and I'll tell you what else, they're all loaded. And I am not, I'm a normal person. So I couldn't, it wasn't about keeping up with the Joneses. It's much more expensive to do something like that than you imagine. You really? Know? Yeah. Because you think about Bali as somewhere that, you know, oh, the food must be really cheap or, you know, I've not been to Bali actually. So, I, I mean, it yeah. looks... Yeah. It looks wonderful and it's a place I hope to go to one day. If if I when I get there, what should I do to experience the real Bali? So, the Balinese people um as with everywhere, you know, some of them are so kind and wonderful and invite you into their home and it's a spiritual experience. I think something like 80% of Balinese people are ba- Balinese Hindus. So, that's a wonderful um way of being they have things called chinang saris everywhere they're offerings to the gods and it's you know these which are comprised of different colored flowers or bougainvillea and you see the women carrying them on their heads and in their brightly colored saris mm. and and the men too yeah. and they have these ceremonies and rituals all the time it's incredible but the other side is it was absolutely chock full of tourists and you are sitting in traffic jams that does not feel tro- tropical bali needs to recalibrate um, it, it had too much mass tourism. Mass tourism is not good. I do not advocate that. And that sounds very elitist and I don't mean to, but the fact is we need less people to travel spending more money when they do, just just, just for environmental reasons, impact mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. And Bali had way too many mass mass tourism, people just trying to make money. And there are, there are different pockets of Bali that are very popular. So... As someone who knows it so well, are there parts of the island that would benefit more from our tourist uh, money than the typical famous places? So I think when I, how do you picture Bali in your in your mind's eye? What are you picturing? I'm picturing uh, rice paddy fields stretching far beyond me and poodling along on a bicycle through them, maybe ending up in a. a windswept beach um and I also picture lots of Instagram girls in kind of hot pants drinking a really nice coffee I'm giggling a bit here you're so right (laughs) (laughs) on in Changu and all around the south I'm afraid I'm afraid that whole Instagram culture it is a bit you know the cut of denim shorts and the girls with the big hats coyly looking behind them over their shoulder yeah it is that so Bali is lots of different things and just like anywhere in the world you know if you go to the really obvious tourist spots they the thing with that is you're hanging out with other foreigners and tourists which isn't why I travel but if you go more to the east side it is absolutely it is what you described actually those those paddy fields rolling into beach but Bali actually isn't about the beaches as much as people think for me it is I love being right in the heart Ubud again is historically has become very very touristy so many people you can't move especially the instagrammer brigade um but if you just just if you stray to the north of the island i've never been to the west i'd love to um you will have these 
incredible experiences where there aren't many other tourists. I think it's just about doing your homework. I mean, I love going to Bali and then you hop over to somewhere called Sumba. Do you know Nihi Sumba? Yeah, it's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, actually. I mean, a place where it seems to really have an impact on people again, spiritually. Yes. Um, and also a lovely hotel, the Nihi. Well, Nihi, yeah. <laughs> well, Claude, who created that with, with his wife, Petra, uh, back a long while ago, um, what they also did at the same time was create a foundation and a charity. So it's incredible what they did. That's got in, uh, a sort of staggeringly exciting surfing wave and beach. That's that's part of the allure. Um as an island, the actual sort of uh, geography isn't as interesting, actually. It's not as green and lush as Bali. Mm-hmm. So again, it's about why you're going. What are you going for? Who are you connecting with? It's a kind of a hop away from Bali, is it? So, yeah, it's if you get on a, a small flight, you can go to Sumba, which is further east. Or you could go to Lombok, which is the next island over. Oh, yeah. You've heard There's of so much to see in that part of the world in Indonesia, isn't there? There is. I mean, Indonesia is an archipelago of, what is it, nearly 17,000 islands it's or something like that. unbelievably huge. Yeah. I worry. I worry about Indonesia because of this time. I mean, they were so reliant on tourism. I also yeah. worry about the fact that they're, if it isn't tourism, you know, they, they, we know about palm, palm oil and all of the way their industry is pretty intense and and do they really think about the bigger picture i don't know i think it's 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 about looking at where you're staying and who you're giving your money to and are they having a positive impact Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at 
airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Juliet has brought the crucial importance of sustainability travel to light. We all love to go on wonderful holidays, but it's our responsibility to make sure we protect the planet while doing so. Thankfully, the team at Turquoise Holidays work with a number of hotels and resorts who all share that eco-friendly vision. There's no limit to the innovative ways in which they're willing to protect the environment, whether it's implementing reef restoration programs in the Maldives or replacing energy-intensive aircon with natural airflow in the Caribbean. Being a family-run company, Turquoise Holidays wants to help protect the beautiful destinations it sells and work with partners who do the same. Head over to the Turquoise Holidays website and their Instagram account to find out more about their eco-friendly expertise and how you can make your next holiday a sustainable one. And kind of going back a little bit to your Mr. and Mrs. Smith days, uh, James Lorne was one of my um, guests on season one and I, I love also Smith Hotels, looking at their curated collection. And that was something that you really spearheaded, wasn't it? So with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I'm so glad you spoke to James. He's such a, um, you know, he's such a affable guy. So they had this idea to do a guidebook. And because they felt that no one was really identifying the type of hotels that we, at that point, sort of style conscious uh, professionals might might want to stay in at the weekends. We didn't want to end up in chintzy, fusty B&Bs, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, it was certainly their idea. And I was thrilled that they approached me to, to look at the sort of storytelling part of it, as we, as we would say now. And what we wanted to do was create a really irreverent human voice like like it might be a friend actually so it was actually called Mr and Mrs Smith in terms of that that was the you know obviously the, it's a wink to to the expression when you're going away for a dirty weekend a cheeky weekend yeah. Mr and Mrs Smith um and it it, it was yeah you know, a phenomenon so it's a smith hotel became a genre and then i sort of you know it was wonderful but then i sort of was noticing these hotels that have that uh, are beautiful looking design hotels, but they just do, they have this positive impact, the sustainable hotels. And no one was really identifying those a few years ago. So that's why I created Boutico as a platform, um, you know, to, to spotlight those hotels. And what are some of your favorite hotels on Boutico? So without a doubt, they'll also, you know, initially they'll, they'll, there will have been hotels that I, I fell in love with through Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So I was... Uh, I went to Fogo Island on my honeymoon. Yeah, Fogo Island. Oh mm-hmm. wow! So tell the listeners a bit about that. So Fogo Island in Canada. When I, uh, I'll continue the theme of mentioning my dad. So I said to my dad, who's from Canada, so Dad, um, I've booked our honeymoon. We're going to Newfoundland. You're going where? It was the easternmost point of Canada. It is not glamorous. It is quite sort of rugged. It's not somewhere you would imagine a sort of somebody who was interested in the high life or fine living would go and spend their time. But thanks to Zita Cobb, she created the ultimate sustainable design-led hotel in Fogo, her community, um, to create an economic engine for a a community that had, um, that basically was a fisherman. And they had, because of the sanctions on fishing Mm -hmm. in the early 90s, they had no, they had no economy. So she very cleverly positioned it as a luxury destination. Who'd have, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's so hard to get to. I would, I would encourage anyone listening, if you don't know Fogo Island, to maybe look it up. Look it up on Instagram and look or, or on Google Images and see what it looks like because architecturally, it's something else. So what's it? I mean, I've not been there, so I'd like, tell me more about it. So Fogo Island Inn is 
what I love in a hotel. It's it's beautifully crafted. It, of course, it's aesthetically pleasing. Of course, the food and drink is wonderful. But the fact that you know Zeta Cobb, who created it, always talks about economic nutrition. So the fact that you know your money is going to a good business, where they pay their staff properly, where it's staying in the local community and really helping them. It's it's an absolute exemplar of the concept of the triple bottom line, which means it's good for planet, good for people. And yes, you know, it's a, it's a for-profit business. When we're talking about these different hotels, it's clear that the the main consideration is the 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 environment here and and sustainability but do you ever pick a place because it's going to be really luxurious and comfy like how do how does that inform your choices you know do you know what I mean yes I do do I want to be comfortable just like the next person yeah I want to be surrounded by uh, beautiful things are both equally important? How, like how do you strike the balance? So how do we strike the balance? It's funny because actually if we look at design, the concept of design, design really by definition is humans finding solutions to problems through design. So I love quality. I love that sense that a human being has crafted a beautiful piece of furniture out of natural materials and perhaps it's given someone who uh, for generations the, the 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 artisanal skills have been passed down so it's social and cultural preservation through what they're doing um i should say social sustainability and cultural preservation through allowing that artisan to carry on doing what they're, they're great at and so any hotel which looks beautiful but is also having a positive impact. That's the holy grail for me. It just feels better. Right. It just feels better. And so can you tell me about a couple of others? In terms of hotels that have used style and design to have an incredible impact on their local communities, Ushua, so it's spelled U-X-U-A. So what Wilbert Das has done there... This is in Brazil, we should say. This is in Brazil. This is in Brazil. And what he has done in in Trancoso, what was a tiny fishing village, is he's acquired all these little casas and he's converted them. Um, But he's also had all these incredible artists and residents that are using all natural materials in the local area um, and turning them into works of art. And, you know, that's rather than ordering a a sort of shipment of furniture made in China, right? This is this is an incredible thing to do. Yeah, it's it's what we talked about. What I love about being a New Yorker, you know, it's individual it's not afraid to sort of stand out do things differently um Ushua is a great uh, exemplar of that um Katamama well actually Potato Head Desa Potato Head it is it's just opened in Bali um oh, yeah. Ronald Akili behind that he employed um loads of Indonesian artists and artisans to craft an incredible hotel and actually that's a lesson in in fantastic forward-thinking architecture, which is converting waste into art often, you know, upcycled plastics, mm-hmm. ocean-captured plastics and things like that. It's, it's imagination. What we're talking about is a great imagination. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, speaking of favourites, um, Chapter 4 is your all-time favourite destination. Where would that be? So I have so many and I'm fickle, but one that will always stand out. And, you know, I... I Mentioned how in Bali, um, you know, it was it was a it was a milestone in my life. Well, uh, another milestone was the most wonderful wedding that we did have in in 
in Budapest in Hungary. So what made you choose to get married in Budapest? Well, actually, my mum had spent the time living there uh-huh. back when it was communist. And it was, And she had worked for the British consulate. And I know that she secretly was always trying to organize parties between Hungarians and British people. I guess maybe so it's in my genes that I always want to connect people. And so I had an affection for that from her. Also, I love wine. <laughs> like, I'd tasted Tokai wine. It's a, it's a dry white wine, or it can be a dessert wine. I said, I need to get married. I need to get married in Hungary so we can have this wine. It's going to be a lot cheaper there. <laughs> and I love Brody House. It's everything we've talked about. Imagination, upcycled furniture, bright color. Artists have created that. So is Brody House a hotel? Brody House is a hotel. Uh-huh. They also have a members club called Brody Studios. We were the first wedding in there. Oh, and it's, wow. it's an incredible property. And the food and drink in Hungary is, is absolutely delicious. So I love to correct people's incorrect uh, preconceptions often. Yeah. Oh, do you know, it looks like such a beautiful city. It's one that I would really love to go to. If I go there, what would you suggest that I do? What are some of the best things to do in Budapest? So in terms of, so Budapest, well, there's Buda and there's Pest. Yes. Yes. So Buda is on one side of the Danube and Pest, I think they say Pest, is on the other. So Pest, where uh, Brody House is, was was historically that you, so you have the Jewish quarter there. It was much more, it was less... It, it was more sort of working. It was less um, refined as the as the Buddha side was much more the sort of aristocracy side. Yeah. Um, I love Pest. And I love, there's just so many of these things called ruin bars. Oh, everyone has to go to a ruin bar. So they'd be open air. <sighs> yeah. Good in these times, right? And they, they look kind of bombed out. Um, but they've made them into really quirky pubs. Yeah. Oh, they sound amazing. So let's now chat a little bit more about the green Edit easy tips for the eco-friendly traveler, which uh, is out soon, written, of course, by Juliet. And the book is broken down into kind of, would you say, two main chapters? So it's about kind of holiday planning and while you're away, right? Yeah. So thank you. Actually, Ebri came to me to do the book in January. And so I had my own, I was in lockdown in February in quarantine <laughs> yeah. writing a book. Anyone who writes a book is just in their own kind of lockdown. Totally. <laughs> and they wanted something that was very sort of practical, not necessarily for someone who'd already considered being in uh, the environment or, or being a sustainable traveler, but someone who really didn't know where to start. Yeah. So it was, um, we wanted it to be helpful and, and, just practical user-friendly tips. And in terms of, for me, I mean, travel is so many different stages. There's the, there's the dreaming, there's the inspiration, then there's the, the booking and the trying to get a good deal, do the right thing, all yeah. of that. Then there's the going. Yeah. Which is all packing up and all of all of that again, another, you know, it can be complicated or not, or not. Um, and then it's being away. How do you have a positive impact while you're away? Um, how do you, all the things I've talked about, you know, how do you make sure that your money's going to the right people staying and really helping that destination? Um, and then it's after that, it's the, it's the memories, actually. It's the knowing that you've, you've had a positive legacy in a way. It's the, it's the coming back and thinking, wow, I really helped people whilst through, through having holiday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's kind of think about some of those elements. Deciding where to go. I just wondered if you could maybe recommend to us a couple of ways that we can avoid over-tourism, places that we, we might have on our kind of travel wish list um, that actually maybe we should avoid for now. And, and some of that might be a good alternative one of the best things you can do is say to your friends where have you been 
that isn't an obvious place to go to that you would really recommend and give me some tips because your friends are likely to share your taste. But for me, if I were to recommend where you go, so don't go to Venice. They have no shortage of tourists. They don't need us. But you could go to Treviso, which is just across, you know, it's just just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love, I'll tell you my favorite little fact about Treviso. We all know tiramisu. Yeah. That comes from there. Because uh-huh. it means uh, pick me up when translated. Pick and it was up. from when it was from. That. Yeah, I love it. From Treviso when all the ladies of the night would uh, on their very busy Saturdays, uh, about three in the morning, they'd need a pick me up. And so there'd be a cafe in Treviso, which would make them the coffee, the cream, the sugar, little pudding that they would have and be able to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. And really, this is in a way, considering hidden gems as places to maybe go. So that leads us on to that chapter, your hidden gem. What would your hidden gem be? I love I love the alpine views. Just those, We've talked about that, these incredible lush green mountains. Well, actually, for me, for that, Transylvania and Romania. Still some of my friends, no matter how many times I recommend it, they can't, I don't know what they have in their mind, but they can't get their heads around Transylvania and Romania being one of my favorite destinations and a hidden gem. And I went there last summer with the Slow Cyclist, um, a group of really, really great people. And we we were cycling through this area. It was was so beautiful to look at. And the food and drink, again, was excellent. Um, And so... You know, it doesn't it doesn't get the same attention as say Tuscany in yes, Italy. But would you make a comparison in terms of the way that it looks? I actually would, but you've got it's a different type of architecture because you've got the Saxon villages, and I oh, once yeah. went to yeah, which must be amazing. It is the history is it's absolutely palpable. I mean, it's a complex history and not always um, such a heartwarming sort of situations. Um, but Kopshamare, which is centuries old, little tiny pastel coloured houses there is incredible. I mean, for us, it's from a fairy tale. It's like as though Disney was channeling that. Really? Yes. And everyone still is still, there's lots of people when you're, we were cycling on the roads, there's not so much, there weren't cars passing us, but horses and carts. I mean, it's of a different time. So in contrast then, uh, chapter six is the worst travel experience that you've had. I mean, you've traveled a lot, so there must have been some uh, less positive experience that you've had over the years. I think what we've learned through this time really is it's often through the difficult, most difficult times that we learn the most. So I always try to look for the silver linings, but there's one particular travel experience I had where it was, I was really struggling to see the learning. It was a few days before Christmas. My daughter, I think was only a year old. There'll be mum's gasping. I was there for work. It was, I think my first long haul trip away. And it was also hurricane season I think in the Caribbean and I'd gone there I can't even I'm not so it's not about the destination I can't remember if it was Grenada St Lucia or Antigua maybe Antigua anyway we had all queued up to get on the plane we're looking at the plane and we watched that mobile staircase you know the ground support machine that gets you up to the plane we watched it drive into the plane penetrating the metal puncturing the metal we all just watched it like jaws thinking we're not gonna be able to get on that plane now like in slow motion and we we couldn't so we were all bussed off to the most terrible terrible hotel and it was terrible weather so we didn't get another day at the beach or anything and it was you know gray skies and my room had the most gigantic cockroaches honestly I see I see handbag dogs in Notting Hill smaller (laughs) than those cockroaches um so that was probably my worst one but hey you know it's a great story yeah yeah exactly for all the those kind of things it's always a a story to tell on the other hand isn't it 
So how are you feeling about traveling again? Are you thinking about going on a, a, a plane soon? I am thinking about travel. I, I'm really enjoying the fact that we're taking much longer to think about where we're going and why and planning it. And I've been looking at Norway and thinking about that's the mm. next time I'll get on a plane. Um, I'm really looking forward to exploring Norway on a little road trip. And I'll probably go on my own. I love traveling on my own. I really, really do. And I've listened to your podcast and I loved the one with Giles Corrin. And he he rightly sort of referenced how we get to go to these luxury hotels for work. And it, it's a bit of a shame because we can't share it with someone yeah but actually because I focus on on the sustainability side of it and finding out stories about the good they're doing when you're on your own you step out of your comfort zone and you have much more meaningful connections with strangers and so I know that will happen in Norway I can't wait Mm. so that that I'm planning um and it's it's close it's closer it's not a long long flight so what parts of Norway are you hoping to to visit so I'm going to start in Bergen um and I think, you know, I've always loved that. Again, I love those brightly coloured houses there. I've always been drawn to these sort of fjord um, landscapes, the, the water, the pine trees around it. I want to meet the Sami, the indigenous people. Oh, yeah. 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 That's another part of the sort of circuit I'm planning. And indigenous people, I can tell you, if anyone's suffering from, from these times, it's the indigenous communities all over the world, yeah. from Australia to, to um, Amazon, it's heartbreaking. So again, looking at how we can support them for so many reasons is really important. Yeah. Uh, So is that your next big adventure, chapter seven? Or have you got something planned more imminently? My next big adventure is in Scotland. I'm so excited. It's a road trip. Wonderful. Where in Scotland are you going? Three little girls, two mums, one mini... (laughs) car all in one car mini adventure all in one car me driving wow lots of podcasts yes I'm driving I booked somewhere to stop in the Yorkshire Dales on the way Mm -hmm. and then we're going to various different places in Scotland um and I booked a a cottage through um Canopy and Stars do you know that yes I do yeah yeah so that's part of Saw Days and I'll tell you what I love about Canopy and Stars going back to looking at businesses being good businesses they're B Corp registered do you know about that? No. So B Corp uh, is a sort of accreditation system where you have to prove you're a good business. Oh, right. Yes. And so I love that about booking through them. And and we're going to be in nature. And then I'm going to end up in Allerdale. I thought that I saw you going there. Yes. Oh, I'm very envious. Which I think is the top of a lot of travel writers in the UK's list right now. Now, especially when we can't go abroad. You know, we always think we have to go on safaris to... Um, far off different continents and actually Allerdale's got wild cats and it's the biodiversity is incredible and biodiversity is everything as we know in sustainability so I can't wait oh wonderful well I'll be following you on social media and seeing your wonderful trip that sounds fantastic well I can't believe that we're on to your final chapter that's chapter eight which is what is at the top of your travel bucket list I love thinking about this I hate I kind of hate the term bucket list I mean I know it's I just we talked about the sort of influence influencer or Instagram culture and I felt that we there had become a culture where people did things to show it off on Instagram yeah. rather than yeah rather yeah. than how and, and we're all guilty of that right we're like there's I mean I posted a photo of me in the Maldives with a floating breakfast not so long ago you know like been there done it <laughs> Right, exactly. Got the gram. (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, 
we all we're all guilty of it. It's absolutely true. Um, but I guess what does bucket list comes from? Kick the bucket, does it? The things we want to do before we kick the bucket. Yeah, Is that what it means. But we can also look at it as a travel wish list. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say part of me, I always wanted to go to Japan, but I sort of, uh, I, I delayed it because I thought once I've done it, then I've done it. So part mm. of me really yearns to go to the Peruvian Andes, mm-hmm. not Machu Picchu, because I know that's somewhere that suffers from 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 over-tourism. But Anna Hunt, she is a Peruvian-trained London-based shaman. Different people say it differently, sh- sh- shaman. But I did anthropology, as as did you. Yeah, yeah, Yay. we both did social anthropology at university. Yes, and we did. Sh- that was one of the. Oh, sh- shamanism was a really important part of that. Yeah. And what do you? What does a shaman mean to you? Um, uh, a, a form of a spiritual healer, I suppose. That's based in an in an indigenous culture. Is that how you would? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I think I, I pretended to be really gracious asking you to do that, but I knew you would say it better than me. So <laughs> <laughs> she did. Yeah, so she she is that, and people might roll their eyes. I used to roll my eyes at anything to do with spiritualism, actually. But you know, when you when you look at it almost in a scientific way, and you think about the the rural Peruvian communities and and the wise elders in in the Amazon rain, rainforest, they are totally connected to nature because they have to be. They have to understand the weather systems and be intuitive because if their crops failed, they have no food. So that's. That, that those instincts we lost them as a race you know as we think we become so advanced and sophisticated living in our cities we became further detached from nature and I think that's what this time has taught us yes I really think this time these months and looking at a virus and coronavirus whatever conspiracy theories you hear or whatever you think the fact is human beings have moved away from being in harmony with nature yes I completely agree with you. I think, again, as I said, it's about being scientific and logical. It's about thinking we are animals. We are organic creatures. It's only natural that we should be connected to the environment, right? Mm. So I would love to go to the Peruvian Andes with Anna Hunt, who who she wrote a great book. Now, I, I don't love the title, and she knows that. It's a shaman in stilettos. It's a bit of a goop ilk, right? Right. But if you spent time with her... And I did actually do do a retreat with her in London just before lockdown. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why I survived it. And it's about, it's really reconnecting with yourself. It's about energy. And I can't even attempt to try and explain it here. But when you do experience it or speak to someone, it's about tuning you in to to the earth we live on. And actually, that is logical when you hear it from a master. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Well, I hope that, you get to go there sometime soon and we and we can hear all about it. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Juliet. Those were your travel diaries. Such a fascinating chat and I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for letting me just share some stories and and I love chatting to you. Thank you. Well, that was the lovely Juliet Kinsman. So many great tips to help us all understand how to satisfy our wanderlust in the most eco-friendly way. Her new book, The Green Edit, is out on September 10th and is available for pre-order now. If you liked this episode, why not subscribe and get new episodes weekly? You can do that for free on all the podcast apps like Apple, Spotify and CastBox. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. And for everything else podcast related, visit thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. 
Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.